Welcome to this episode of SDI Encounters, a podcast from SDI, the home of spiritual companionship. I'm Matt Whitney. This week, I and Pastor Dave Brown explore poetry as spiritual companionship. Dave shares a bit about how he began using poetry through his services as a pastor to the ways he incorporates poems as one of the Pacific Northwest Interfaith Amigos and through his Blues Vespers concerts where he intersperses poetry readings with performances by musicians. In this conversation, the poem serves as a kind of sacred text through which our companionship finds common ground and shared presence. Um, Pastor Dave, thank you for coming onto this podcast with me today. You have been a good friend to me over the past year and a half or so, and uh, one of the one of the things that that brings us together in companionship is poetry, and poetry plays a really big part in your life. Would you be willing to reflect a little bit on how you connect to poetry? How does, how does poetry play such a big role in your life? And what are the ways in which it plays a role? Well, it's always good to talk to you, Matt, if it's um, talking about deep things over, over beers, beers with each other or talking about things related to the really good work of Spiritual Directors International. Um, a real quick maybe sketch of how I was introduced to poetry is as a high school student, as a hippie in 19, mid-60s, I wrote a lot of poetry, which literally I just found uh, about a month ago in the basement of the house, and I haven't been brave enough to look at it yet. Oh, nice. Uh, but I always had a sense that there was something immediate about um, a poem that was... Um, not necessarily better, but different than prose, that um, a poem could bring you right up close to something quickly. And I, I was engaged by that. Um, my first, one of my first exposures to poetry wasn't reading it, but on loading boxes uh, during the days of the counterculture. I worked in, um, in Greenwich Village in the edge of Little Italy for Corinth Books. Um, a poetry publisher that published the early works of Jack Kerouac and Allen Ginsberg, and I basically was a grunt loading poetry books into their warehouse um, in this place near Little Italy. If you fast forward, um, it was at Whitworth uh, University. There was a college then where you also went to school where I really fell in love with poetry, um, both T.S. Eliot and William Carlos Williams, uh, who really impacted me as long alongside the beat poet, uh, Gary Snyder. And I was drawn to William Carlos Williams because of his saying that there's no thing but itself. And he didn't write grand metaphorical poetry. He tried to help you see the thing or feel the thing. You know, nothing matters so much as the red wheelbarrow, that type of, mm -hmm. of stuff. And I decided I was going to um, get a PhD in American literature and write a dissertation on the spirituality of William Carlos Williams, but thought first I would spend a year at Princeton studying theology and trying to intellectually grapple with my faith. Uh, one thing led to another. I never went to 
a, a PhD program and I ended up being a pastor in the Presbyterian Church who uses a lot of poetry. Um, that's interesting. You said you use the word immediacy when talking about poetry and William Carlos Williams and T.S. Eliot. And those are the kinds of poems that I resonate with as well. And, I, you know, I'm not like I'm not an expert in poetry. I didn't really study English. Um, but I think when I think of poetry, good poetry, it, it always reminds me that I am alive. And the, the red wheelbarrow is like a reminder that I am alive. And, and maybe, so it's interesting to me that you, as a Presbyterian pastor, use poetry. I think of pastors as using the Bible uh, or scripture, you know, as a, as a teaching. Um, and it's almost like the poem has a similar impact as, as scripture can, which is that that immediacy it sort of pulls us back into what is what is real does and, that make sense and, yeah it does and, and to be clear um my evolution and my relationship to poetry as a pastor is an evolving thing and throughout my ministry in congregate in congregations and sunday morning worship obviously my sermon or my homily was based on scripture but it often incorporated poetry Hmm. Um, when I started my ministry, um, reflecting perhaps my education at Princeton Seminary, I was a little reluctant to bring things that might be considered too secular into a, a sermon on a sacred text. Hmm. The first time I did that was at the installation of a pastor in a downtown church where I used Gary Snyder's uh, for the children. Gary Snyder uh, is a Buddhist. And... Um, in Green Bay, Wisconsin in 1985, uh, that maybe wasn't the norm for Presbyterian pastors to read beat uh, poets who happen to be Buddhist um, in worship services installing new pastors. I found it really um, a moving thing, and in a second maybe I could read the poem that I read. Um, I took that with me and started to incorporate poetry more and more in my ministry in federal way, and then it really came together when I created Blues Vespers, which is a, a blues concert with a brief message and some poems. Vespers has been going for 21 years. Um, it stopped now a little while because of the pandemic. It's won numerous awards and is actually well known um, around the world, which is shocking to me. I was in a London blues bar and musicians said, oh, the Blues Vespers guy from Tacoma is here. Um, nice. That me back on my heels. So Vespers, yeah. which currently, um, well, when we resume, we resume at the Interfaith Community Sanctuary, where the message is provided by the Pacific Northwest Interfaith Amigos, um, Rabbi Ted Falcon, Imam uh, Jamal Rahman, and myself, and at the University of Puget Sound Kilworth Chapel, where Dave Wright and I, Dave's the campus minister, do the message. Um, basically, it's a poem. Um, it's a straight-up blues concert by some of the best talent in the country. A brief reflection on a theme, either by myself or by the Northwest Interfaith Amigos, and then the rest of it is a concert. This has exposed tons of people, lots and lots of people, to poetry, and it's changed, Matt. I think uh, the paradigm about what a Christian spiritual leader could be. Um, 
rather than preaching some kind of um, narrow-minded message during the time for the talk, I'd invite them to lay back into a poem. And a couple hundred people in the room started to see at least my ministry and maybe Christian ministry in a slightly different light because of that message in that context. And why did you feel the need to make that shift? What shift? The shift from being the paradigmatic Christian pastor who just preaches a sermon to somebody who invites people into reflection and contemplation uh, and art. I mean, the evolution of my spirituality has brought me to a point where the core teaching of Christianity is not believing the right things in order to get to a heaven on the other side of the clouds, but it's uh, trusting the way of Jesus as one engages the sacred, which is a mystery that is all around us. And uh, poems will often help us do that. There's a wonderful poem. Let me see if I can find it that kind of articulates that sense of the mystery all around us. And it's by Denise Levertov, who is an interesting poet. She started off very secular, kind of avant-garde, and ended up being um, a, a semi-Orthodox Christian believer who lived in Seattle and I believe died in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And she wrote uh, this poem, which is about falling back into the mystery that is all around us. It's called The Avowal. As swimmers dare to lie face to the sky and waters bear them. As hawks rest upon air and air sustains them. So would I learn to attain free fall and float into creator spirit's deep embrace, knowing no effort earns that all surrounding grace. Mm. She invites us not to believe the right things, but to trust that all encompassing embrace, what Christians will call grace. Yeah. Which is just reality is how I receive that. It's just the very, the very present moment. Pastor Dave Brown retired from Emmanuel Presbyterian Church, a growing progressive community where he had served since 2005 in 2018. He is the innovator of award-winning Blues Vespers, a blues concert with poetry and reflection. While at Emmanuel, he led four spiritual pilgrimages to the island of Iona, Scotland, as well as organizing four Habitat for Humanity builds in Guatemala. A graduate of Princeton Theological Seminary, Pastor Dave has served congregations in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and Federal Way, Washington. He also worked as staff for the National Council of Churches Committee on Public Education and Literacy and the Comprehensive Health Education Foundation's Partnership Project. 
Support for this podcast comes from SDI Press, announcing its newly published book, Spiritual Direction Supervision, Principles, Practices, and Storytelling by Lucy Abbott Tucker, an innovative full-color workbook designed to support the care and growth of your spiritual companionship practice, representing the best thinking of master teacher Lucy Abbott Tucker. We invite you to explore her principles, practices, and stories as you deepen your own approach to spiritual direction, companionship, and the supervision process. Learn more at sdistore.org. I have a Denise Levertop poem for you. Can I read it? Of course. It's called, um, I think it's called Mountain. It's one that's witness is what it's called. And you'll, and you'll know it right away. Sometimes the mountain is hidden from me in veils of cloud. Sometimes I am hidden from the mountain in veils of inattention, apathy, fatigue. When I forget or refuse to go down to the shore or a few yards up the road on a clear day to reconfirm that witnessing presence. Lovely. She's talking about Tahoma, Mount Rainier in Washington state. And uh, sometimes I forget to look up and see it where I am. And uh, it, again, it's, it's about the immediacy of the, this moment of grace. That in, like, in reading, reading poetry, not as a academic exercise, but as a form of spiritual companionship, helps us open our heart to remember the mystery that is surrounding us and the sacred and, and the love. She gets a third uh, poem by Denise Levertoff, if I may, yeah. uh, building on yours, and it's a poem uh, called Primary Wonder. And if she isn't speaking for me and uh, perhaps you and perhaps our listeners, um, actually, I'm pretty sure she is. Days pass when I forget the mystery. Problems insoluble and problems offering their own ignored solutions jostle for my attention. They crowd its antechamber along with a host of diversions, but courtiers wearing their colored clothes, caps, and bells. And then, once more, the quiet mystery is present to me. The throng's clamor recedes, the mystery, that there is anything, anything at all, let alone cosmos, joy, memory, everything rather than void. And that, O oh Lord, creator, hallowed one, you still hour by hour sustain it. A good prayer. It's a good prayer. I feel like your your understanding of grace as like that unfolding presence in any given moment, if we're just aware of it, and the remembering that that Denise Levertov calls us to in these poems is basically the same thing. Mm-hmm. I hope so. Yeah. Do you, you have a, I think maybe you and I have similar tastes in poetry, but when you are putting together a blues, Vespers, uh, how do you, how do you curate 
that uh, those those elements, uh, the music. How do you choose the musicians? How do you then? How do you choose the poetry? Does one come before the other? Do they happen organically? How does that process come together? The message isn't. Um the reflection, we don't call it a message. The time of reflection isn't key necessarily to the set of the musicians. Basically, I um, I know now most of the blues musicians in the Northwest and a lot in New York, and I choose people um, because of their talent, because of their their energy, because they understand what I'm, I'm doing. There's an advantage to being part of their business, so to speak, for 22 years. I mean, we've had the great young acoustic blues do, uh, duo that Frederica knows, Ben Hunter and Joe Siemens. I've had the legendary Little Bill in the Blue Notes. Uh, he's 82 and has been in the business for over 60 years. Um, a wide range of musicians from Britain to LA to New York that have played Vespers and Nashville is, is an incredible honor. Uh, I choose the theme based on what's gnawing at my spirit. Um, or based on something in Ballard, Brother Ted and Brother Jamal and I think about when we're having lunch. Uh, we look at something that's happening in the world, and um, I kind of crystallize it into a four to six minute reflection. I then just start pondering, what poems do I know? And if I can't remember, sometimes I'll go through books, and when I had the office at Emmanuel, and now in our basement, I have a huge cardboard box with sheets of poems. I called my poetry box, and it's it's a good size old box that had wine in it. And sometimes, if a poem doesn't come to mind, and Vespers is at five o'clock, at two o'clock, I go downstairs where it's quiet, and I start going through my poetry box, skimming poems. And it's not failed me for 20 years. Eventually, it'll be, oh, look, look, this one. This one right here. The myth of urgency, that works with what I want to say. Or, yeah. or this one, Harlem by Langston Hughes really relates to the time. So I pull them aside, and that's how I find my poems. I, It's all spirit-driven. It's all eccentric, um, passionate. It's not pre-plotted or analyzed it's all just what's moving um and as of now that hasn't failed me in doing 22 years of vespers um so that that's that that's that story hmm. mm -hmm. and you also bring poetry to uh some of your other experiences as well you've done uh or you used to do Trips for Habitat for Humanity, right? And uh, and I know that you've led trips to Iona, and you incorporate poetry into those experiences as well. Right, and um, my um, we've done four Habitat builds, and uh, part of what I give those that are going on the build of the night we leave is a selection of poems with no direction except that they might like these poems to be their a part of their spiritual guide as they're doing the, the, the building um, three times in Guatemala and one time in Colombia. And then in Iona trips past and I'll be doing group pilgrimages again. I put together selections of poems um, in, a, in a folder um, and give, uh, give those to people who are going on the pilgrimage and 
will give them to people going on my pilgrimages in the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I have a sense of what what compels you to incorporate poetry into blues vespers or as a uh, into a liturgy and and into service. Um, how do you understand the role of poetry, say, in in a spiritual companionship relationship, and and maybe in this instance, I just mean between between two people, between two friends. Well, uh, I'm um, one of the when one of the sacred practices that I talk about when the Pacific Northwest Interfaith Amigos do programs is lectio divina, reading. Uh, the Bible, not as an academic study, so to speak, but as a way of drawing out from it the guidance of the Spirit. And I've applied that in my life and in my teaching through an approach to poetry and also, uh, Matt, in a way, to uh, an approach if one is going you know, into the great art museums of the world and looking at 10,000 different paintings. And I've used that approach to help center me and focus to draw meaning out of one or two of those paintings. Yeah. So it's a, a three-step um, process. And it's like, if a poem seems to be of interest to you, the, I suggest you find a quiet place. If you want, read it out loud and you read it once and you sit back and meditate for a minute or two on what's the overall sense of this poem? What, what is it about? Uh, the second, then you read it a second time and you meditate on the question, what in particular uh, stands out to me in this poem? What word in Gary Snyder's um, poem, you know, for the children, is it that it's about children or is it about the mountains in the future? What phrase or what thing in the poem sticks in my craw and meditate on that and then the third time you read it, I invite people to ask the question of themselves, either what is this poem asking me to do or how is it calling me forth? Do you, can you recall a time where a poem compelled you into an action? Lots of times. Um, one that I visit, that, uh, could I read a couple? Yes, please. Uh, one um, that I visit a lot when um, I'm sensing what's happening all around me and feel like, gosh, we have to do something. Actually, Matt, we have to do a million different things, and it's all so urgent. And then I, I came across uh, Mark Nepo's poem, The Myth of Urgency, and that takes me off the ledge and helps me to breathe deep and to say, I can't do it all, I can only do what I can do. And the poem goes like this, the myth of urgency. Everyone wants you to quietly be Atlas, to shoulder it all. Even the voice in your head insists you are behind. But I've seen the light in you, the one the gods finger while we sleep. I've seen the blossom open in your heart, no matter what remains to be done. There are never enough hours to satisfy the minion of once. So close your eyes and lean into the oneness that asks nothing of you. 
When the call stack answer to no one, though you receive them all, hmm. just open your beautiful hands, born with nothing in them. You have never been more complete than in this incomplete moment. Mark Nepo wrote that. That is the voice of God. <laughs> that is the voice of the Spirit speaking to me right now as you know, we're having this conversation while I'm trying to wrangle our new website into being. It's, uh, it's an overwhelming task. And then um, building on that theme, if I may, um, I'm going to read this. I do a column, uh, Matthew, for the Presbyterian Church. Uh, for the, a monthly column um, for their web magazine, Unbound, called uh, Setting the Inner Compass. And these are two poems uh, that um, I'm going to use in this one, as I think sometimes poems help us to remember. The first is by Wendell Berry, and the second is my riff on a poem by Rendell Be Wendell Berry uh, that got published in a couple places. Great. The Peace of Wild Things. I'm sure you might know this one. Mm. When despair for the world grows in me and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be. I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water and I feel above me the day blind stars waiting with their light. For a time I rest in the grace of the world and am free. Mm -hmm. And as an urban person who is nurtured so much by the city streets, if it's Seattle, or my hometown, New York City, I wrote the piece of city things. When despair for the world grows in me, and I feel like I'm carrying great weight, I go to the city and allow its life and light to wash over me. I feel peace in the presence of the hustle and bustle, so many human stories rushing through crowded streets. The weight grows lighter as I walk through canyons made by great buildings. Look up, up, up and see a sliver of blue sky. I rest back in the joy of simple human things, seeing lovers kissing while sitting on a bench, eating a hot dog from a street vendor, hearing a saxophone played under a bridge in the park. My heart is filled, but lift, my heart is lifted by the rumble of the subway. A little boy tenderly, tenderly holding father's hand while crossing the street and squirrels scurrying up a tree. I take in the buildings, parks, subways, museums, delis, pretzel vendors, newsstands, honking horns, bright lights flashing in the night, and am nourished. My face finds a smile as a brown sparrow jumps from curb to table, snatching crumbs. Oh, when the world feels heavy, I go to the heart of human life. 
and try to be present to see the holiness of people simply being people. I allow the grace of the city to surround me and I feel alive, free, and maybe even hope. You and I both have a love of the city and in a healing way of just being out and walking, walking streets and being amidst the hustle and bustle. It's restorative. So much of my ministry these days is millions of miles away from asking people to believe the right things, to draw closer to God, and rather inviting people to open their eyes and see the presence of God all around them and recognize the sacred holiness in people being people. Yeah, that's so beautiful and so true. Dave, is there is there anything else that you would like to share that that uh, that you haven't had a chance to talk about? If anybody um, who's listening to this podcast would like uh, some of the anthologies of poems that I've created, I created three uh, for family and friends. Um, they're not for sale. Um, I'm not doing it for gain, but I would be glad if they wanted to send you a te- email to put one of them in the mail to uh, introduce them to some of my favorite poems. Yeah. I, yeah. Any other way, um, I, you know, spiritual companionship takes place in a lot of different shapes. And I sometimes think um, the gifts of the words put together by a poet can be um, a companion uh, to us um, as we are on um, this journey of remembering, forgetting, and then remembering again. Hmm. Yeah, thank you for that invitation. Let's do one more. Uh, you share a poem with me, and I will share a poem with you, and uh, and let's let's do that. Let's do that together. Is that all right? That is uh, more than all right. Uh, do you want, you want me to go first? Yeah, you go first. I'm going through my box of poems. Nice, I can picture it, the wine box, cardboard box. Um, okay, so my closing two poems, Matthew, um, I think speak in particular to this, this time in our history, what's, um, it's happening right now on the streets of Seattle and the streets across America. So I'm going to read first a poem by Langston Hughes, and it needs no commentary or no introduction. And then I'm going to read um, a poem by the um, Arab American poet um, Naomi Shihab Nye. And the poem by Langston Hughes is called Harlem. What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat or crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load or does it explode? A poem for June 2020. 
I've read this at numerous Vespers. Shoulders by Naomi Shehab Nye. A man crosses the street in rain, stepping gently, looking two times north and south because his son is asleep on his shoulder. No car must splash him, no car drive too near to his shadow. This man carries the world's most sensitive cargo, but he's not marked. Nowhere does his jacket say fragile, handle with care. His ear fills up with breathing. He hears the hum of a boy's dream deep inside of him. We're not going to be able to live in this world if we're not willing to do what he's doing with one another. Shoulders, Naomi Shehab Nye. Those are perfect. I don't even want to share anymore. <laughs> I want to. I want to end with those. I don't feel like I can. Um, well, I'll share you. I'll share my poem anyway. Um, okay, here's my poem for you. It's by Raymond Carver. It's called "The Window." A storm blew in last night and knocked out the electricity. When I looked through the window, the trees were translucent bent and covered with rhyme. A vast calm lay over the countryside. I knew better. But at that moment, I felt I'd never in my life made any false promises, nor committed so much as one indecent act. My thoughts were virtuous. Later on that morning, of course, electricity was restored. The sun mm -hmm. moved from behind the clouds, melting the hoarfrost, and things stood as they had before. Beautiful. Thank you for that, Matthew. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, thank you, Dave, for uh, serenading us with poetry and letting us marinate in it a little bit today and understanding it as a, as a sacred word that invites us into contemplation and uh, sacred space between companions. Uh, I appreciate that, and I appreciate you. Thank you. Take care. Blessings. If you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us share and spread the word about the life-giving practice of spiritual companionship, you can help us out by subscribing to this podcast through your favorite app. You could give us a like or even write us a review. This is Matt Whitney with SDI, the home of spiritual companionship. Thank you for listening to this episode of SDI Encounters. If you liked this show and would like us to continue making them, please do subscribe now while it's fresh on your mind. Also, we would love to hear from you, so please feel free to send in your comments and suggestions to the email address podcast at sdiworld.org. To learn more about spiritual companionship and the ways that you can plug into our community, visit us on our website, sdicompanions.org.